0: Welcome to the first interview of 2021 on the Whistleblowing Now and Then podcast. My name is Anna Myers, and I am the executive director of the Whistleblowing International Network, a nonprofit membership organization set up to strengthen and connect civil society organizations around the world that defend and support public interest whistleblowers. Before we start today's show, which is a fascinating interview that Vigilenza Abazi did with Samantha Feinstein, staff attorney and deputy director of the International Program at the Government Accountability Project in Washington, D.C., I just wanted to take a moment to reflect on Wynne's first year doing a podcast. Vigilenza Abazi, a professor of European law at the University of Maastricht and a specialist on national security, privacy and whistleblowing issues, is my wonderful co-host of Whistleblowing Now and Then. We started talking about launching a podcast on whistleblowing around the world a few years ago. I chose the title because of its double meaning. Whistleblowing doesn't actually happen every day. Most people never blow the whistle, and most of those who do, we don't hear about. It never goes public. Sometimes their employer addresses the problem or wrongdoing. Many times it is pushed under the carpet and they are ignored. And when we do hear about it, it is because someone has spoken up more than once, has kept going and decided that silence was just not an option. And when they do that, the response can be really harsh and unforgiving, and the result can be life-changing. It is never just easy to speak up and challenge the status quo, let alone to speak up and challenge the powerful with evidence of wrongdoing or negligence. But in all cases, I believe it is vital that people have access to advice and support before, after, and during the time that they blow the whistle. The second reason I liked the title, Whistleblowing Now and Then, was it provided us with room to explore whistleblowing in the past, as well as whistleblowing in the present, or indeed the future. Edward Snowden was not the first U.S. national security whistleblower, nor will he be the last. He can not only trace the roots of his whistleblowing to the actions of Daniel Ellsberg and the release of the Pentagon Papers, but also to the eight concerned citizens who in 1971 broke into the Federal Bureau of Investigations offices in Media, Pennsylvania, and stole all the files in order to determine and then to reveal the existence of a vast and secret program developed under J. Edgar Hoover to spy on the activities of Americans, and most particularly Black Americans we can see the connections between the past, people speaking up, and the present, people also trying to alert us and warn us. We finally got started recording last February in London, just before COVID-19 really hit Europe and we went into lockdown. Soon we started hearing reports about the doctors in Wuhan, in particular, Dr. Li Wenlang, who had warned about a number of hospital patients with a new mysterious pneumonia that he had identified in December 2019. Dr. Wenlang confidentially warned local colleagues, but his reports were made public and the information quickly spread on Chinese social media. On the 3rd of January 2020, Dr. Wenlang was reprimanded by the police for making false comments on the internet and made to sign a statement promising not to do it again. Five days later, he contracted COVID-19 and on the 31st of January, he decided to go public about the police reprimand. He actually died of COVID-19. But by this time, people were starting to question why doctors who were giving early warnings of a potentially fatal disease were being silenced. Our first series of podcasts in 2020 interviewed those working in some of the leading whistleblower protection organizations around the world, Liz Gardner of Protect in the UK, Marcin Wasak of the Stefan Battery Foundation in Poland, and Tom Devine of the Government Accountability Project in the US. We found ourselves interviewing people at the frontline of COVID-19 whistleblowing, People who were supporting doctors, nurses, key workers, who were reporting serious problems with the preparedness of their institutions and their governments for a serious global health crisis. And the risks this lack of preparedness was having on their health and their welfare and for those they were caring for. And we were finding out that some of these people were being threatened and silenced. The new year brings new whistleblowing stories and new challenges in the protection of those who speak out in the interests of others. We are planning to continue to talk to those who are advocating for the protection of whistleblowers as a matter of democratic accountability, environmental emergency, and social, economic, and political integrity in Nigeria, Mexico, and Chile, to name just a few of the countries where civil society is very actively working on these issues. We hope you will continue to listen and to share your thoughts on what you hear. So without further ado, let me introduce you to today's episode, Vigilance's interview with Sam Feinstein, staff attorney and deputy director of the International Program at the Government Accountability Project in Washington DC. In advance of Joe Biden's inauguration, they sat down together to discuss Sam's work and her recommendations for the incoming administration.
1: So delighted to have with us today Samantha Feinstein from Government Accountability Project. Samantha is a lawyer who does a lot of cases both uh, within the US, but also globally. And uh, we will benefit so much from her knowledge on the many reports and issues that she's actually been working on, including her input for the EU whistleblower directive. So we're truly delighted to have Samantha who can share so many perspectives, but of course, including her expertise on US whistleblowing law. Samantha, welcome. Welcome to our
2: Whistleblowing Now and Then podcast. Hi, Vajalessa. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm delighted to be here. So could you tell our listeners a bit more about you and and your work? Sure thing. So um, as you mentioned, I work on whistleblower cases, both domestically and international. Um, I've worked on issues anywhere from COVID-19 to Trump administration um, issues to um, United Nations whistleblowers. Um, But I also work on policy both uh, domestically and internationally to try to advance whistleblower rights, um, not just in the United States, but beyond. So uh, I think we have our our work cut out for us for a while. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, it's an interesting time, certainly for whistleblowing, especially now in light of the new Biden administration. And that's precisely what I would would love to talk more to you about and and share with our listeners your expertise. Uh, So... One of the first things that comes to mind is why should whistleblowing be on uh, top of Biden's agenda, especially taking into account that there's, this is an administration having to deal with so many crises, including obviously COVID, the economy, and of course, not to forget the level, just the plain high level of polarization right now in the States.
2: That's a great question. Um, you know, whistleblowers, they are frontline truth tellers. And we depend on them in life and death situations. But today they remain totally vulnerable to workplace retaliation, slap suits, defamation, and even physical insecurity. And of course, you know, we see this globally. Uh, it's not just in the United States. And that really shows how we're all in this together and whistleblowers are suffering. It is because whistleblowers uh, were under attack in China that the pandemic spread around the world, ultimately to the United States, which has the longest, uh, oldest whistleblower law in the world. And now is the, the hub of, of whistleblower cases today. And we are, are suffering and our whistleblower rights are being put to the test. Um, and you see this uh, in cases like you know, Dr. Rick Bright, for instance, who opposed the use of hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19, and he raised concerns about supply shortages during the pandemic. And in return, he was marginalized. And ultimately, he was pushed to the point where he was forced to resign. And Uh, President Biden really demonstrated that he is taking whistleblower rights seriously when he decided to appoint whistleblower Dr. Rick Bright to serve on his coronavirus advisory board. He also appointed David Kessler, uh, Dr. David Kessler, another whistleblower, to serve on his coronavirus task force. So these are individuals with knowledge and experience in their profession, and it was a loss to our society for them to be marginalized um, for what they said and for telling the truth. And whistleblowers, they need jobs. And President-elect Biden is already taking that seriously through his actions
1: that's very interesting answer, and that's certainly a very interesting insight in terms of uh, that seeing immediately from the Biden administration these first steps into taking whistleblowing more seriously uh, so Sam, in that regard, especially, what should the priorities of the Biden administration be on whistleblowing?
2: Government accountability project um, has been working with the Biden administration, with the transition team to put forward a series of recommendations for the Biden administration to consider to advance whistleblower rights. And we have a series of like day one recommendations. Um, And so a few examples of that are, for instance, to restore White House counsel for ethics, whose primary mission includes advocacy of whistleblower rights and liaising with transparency and whistleblower stakeholders. And um, this is something that started um, during the Obama administration um, when it was staffed by Norm Eisen. Um, and he was highly successful in this role and is something that we would like to see continue. Um, Another issue is, you know, as you know, like most things um, during the Trump administration, whistleblowers became a really polarizing issue in the United States. And traditionally, whistleblowing has been a strong bipartisan issue. And we would really like to see the United States return to bipartisan support. So we suggested, for instance, that bipartisan leaders... Um, on whistleblower rights come together to organize a Rose Garden ceremony to honor the significant contributions of whistleblowers. Um, And um, we also would like to see President Biden issue an executive order prohibiting the implementation or enforcement of non-disclosure agreements that conflict with their federal whistleblower rights, their superseding right to blow the whistle or even to communicate with Congress. Um, We've seen, especially during COVID-19, the impact that silencing whistleblowers has. And it's something that is a top priority for the next administration. And then we have um, a series of recommendations for the first 100 days. Um, It's really important to pass federal national laws to increase protection for whistleblowers. And so we've recommended that Biden sponsor the COVID-19 Whistleblower Protection Act, um, amongst several other really great bills um, that are, are just waiting to be passed in Congress. And so um, including um, a bill to provide whistleblower rights to the police force um, and that's really important because we've also seen recently um, this huge problem of the blue wall of silence culture within the police force that shields systemic racism. And that is one of the biggest issues of our time. And that's really something that, that we want him to, to take as a, as a top priority. Um, and we've also seen, you know, uh, you can't see me, but I'm making uh, quote marks here, Ukraine gate. <laughs> the Ukraine gate whistleblower. <laughs> and you know, we've seen how whistleblowers in the intelligence community can come under attack and how they have second class whistleblower rights. And we would really like to see the Biden administration close those loopholes and give the intelligence community the whistleblower rights um, that they need and that they deserve. But it's not enough. Whistleblower legislation is just the first step on a long journey for whistleblower rights uh, in order for them to have an impact. And um, Tom Devine, who um, I encourage everyone to check out your your interview with Tom uh, and I uh, collaborated with the government, I'm sorry, with with the International Bar Association in uh, an upcoming publication that uh, outlines a series of recommendations Based on a study that analyzed whistleblower cases in every single country with a whistleblower law um, and analyzed their legislation to see how well laws are working in practice. And you know, we've seen overall that whistleblower laws are not enough because whistleblowers um, are losing the majority of their cases. And not only that, we found By and large, nations with whistleblower laws, uh, the, the laws are barely even being implemented. Whistleblowers aren't utilizing them. There aren't any cases, or there are very few. Indeed, indeed. And that was
1: exactly going to be my my last question to you, to you, Samantha. You know, of course, you told us how much uh, the all the steps that the Biden administration needs to do starting to, as of day one. And of course, uh, after moving in the first 100 days and the broader protections. But looking beyond the U.S., this is exactly what I was more curious about. What should the podcast listeners know about the the state of uh, affairs, uh, so to say, in the field in terms of legal protections. And and, uh, indeed, could you share more of your findings from your report in terms of what we could do as with law, but also looking beyond law itself?
2: So in our analysis of the quality of whistleblower laws around the world, we compared them to a criteria of 20 international best practices for whistleblower rights. And when compared with those 20 best practices, we observed that countries like Australia, the European Union, if you include the EU Whistleblower Protection Directive, the United States, Ireland, and Serbia, all complied with 75% or more of the criteria for statutory rights. Um, And we found um, that 47 out of 62 nations had anti-retaliation rights broader than the workplace, such as protection against civil and criminal liability. Um, We also found that Canada, Lebanon, And Peru had the weakest statutes um, that were only complying with one out of 20 criteria. So um, we still have, I think, a long way to go in terms of quality of legislation. But moreover, I think you really see when you're looking at the cases, the actual implementation of whistleblower laws, Um, when they're utilized in retaliation cases, that um, with 37 countries combined, the overall success rate for whistleblowers was 21%. All right, so you're really seeing that uh, the majority of whistleblowers lose. In the United States and Britain, they have the most case law on whistleblower rights to examine. And we found that in these higher volume um, countries, uh, in the United States, the win rate, I'm sorry, the win loss rate in the United States was 10%. And in the United Kingdom, it was 13.8%. So um, we also found that 59% of nations that we studied didn't have any reported case decisions for their whistleblower laws Um, and that really indicates either a lack of transparency about case decisions or that there's almost non-existent usage of whistleblower laws and that could be for a variety of reasons. We did see um, that there were dysfunctional delays in whistleblower cases. Um, We found that there were some cases that lasted over a decade before they got final results. And we found that even when whistleblowers were winning, they were practically still losing because the remedies were so weak. So we put forward a series of recommendations um, that we think would improve the uh, effectiveness of whistleblower rights over time. And so we really advise that countries publish their case decisions online within a searchable database so watchdogs can do their their jobs. And through transparency, we can continue to monitor how well these laws are working in practice. We also recommend that governments publish reports with consolidated information about the impact of whistleblower laws to benefit society. Um, In addition, we really think it's important that whistleblower laws remove economic barriers for whistleblowers who are challenging retaliation. And that could be, you know, anywhere between giving financial support for whistleblowers so that they can hire attorneys or at least allow um, attorneys to seek attorney's fees in litigation, Um, having informal um, options like mediation to settle disputes or to remove loser pay laws that uh, that some countries have. Um, Because we found that there were some cases where not only did the whistleblower lose their case, but they were forced to pay both their fees and the opposing party's fees. And that's really undermining the effectiveness of whistleblower laws, because as we've seen, um, the odds are right now uh, stacked against the whistleblower. The odds are that whistleblowers are not going to win their case if they challenge retaliation. And last but not least, we recommend that bias and discrimination against whistleblowers should be addressed through intensive public education, and training. And that's really last but not least because to have a sustainable impact on um, whistleblower protection, it's important to stop the root cause of discrimination against whistleblowers from the get-go. Whistleblowers should be not only protected, but they should be celebrated. And I would like to see us get to a place in the future where where that is the reality and not the goal.
1: Sam, thank you so much for your absolutely uh, rich and detailed answers, both in terms of what the Biden's uh, top agenda should be uh, uh, in this administration and the concrete steps that the Biden administration should take, but also for sharing with us these uh, very concrete and implementable suggestions deriving from your extensive uh, research and report looking at, as you said, globally all countries that provide for whistleblowing laws. And of course, indeed, uh, in, in token to your uh, aim and call that we raise more awareness, I hope that this podcast too uh, serves a bit more of that aim to sort of increase a little bit more knowledge uh, with the public and, and and see what we should really do um, in, in terms of how we can improve, restoring accountability, increasing transparency that whistleblowers provide. So thank you once more. It was such a pleasure to speak with you, and I'm looking forward to continue following your uh, work in this field.
2: Thank you so much, Vigilanza. Thank you so much for having me, and um, you, know, you are also a part of so much of the progress in this field, and it's really been terrific um, working with you not only in whistleblower cases, but on uh, whistleblower laws, so really appreciate you taking the time to interview me today. Thank you so much
0: quite an amazing conversation you had with uh, Sam Vigilenza. and I found it incredibly striking um, listening to her recommendations, specifically uh, regarding sort of making sure that whistleblower protections and even the discussion about whistleblowing is put back in the bipartisan space. Um, the importance of new legislation and sponsoring um, protections for COVID-19 whistleblowers and, of course, post 6th of January, where we saw an incred- you know, incredible events at Capitol Hill with the insurrection, the importance of police whistleblowers. Um, so I was really struck at how prescient a discussion this was. We do know this was building for some time, but I was really gripped by the discussion and I'm very impressed with, uh, with your uh, conversation with Sam.
1: Thanks. And I indeed, I fully agree. Uh, we, ought, we say that whistleblowing is a measure to democracy, but now we're seeing after the events on January the 6th, that democracy itself is on the line. So having this conversation with Sam could not be more timely. And I hope our listeners have a better understanding of the
0: hugely important issues at stake. Great. Well, we I look forward to many more conversations with experts around the world, but this certainly started the new year off with a bang. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Whistleblowing Now and Then podcast created by WIN, the Whistleblowing International Network. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever you get the podcast. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Vigilenza Abazi, and my co-host, Anna Myers, the Executive Director of WIN. It is produced by Alice Smith, and the theme music is by the Glasgow-based Roots Quartet, edited by Josh Brown.
0: To learn more about WIN, you can follow us on Twitter, at Whistleblowing. Or visit our website, Whistleblowing Network, all one word dot org, to support Wind's work, including this podcast. You can now donate to us via the donate button on our website. Thanks very much for listening.